Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dickinson Forevermore podcast. Season three, our final season, and it's a good one. I am one third of your podcast host, Robin Detman. I'm a director and producer at LDW Films, and I'm the producer nerd on this podcast. Hi, I'm Jess. I am a writer, actor, and the resident editing nerd of this podcast. Hi, I'm Jay Red. I'm a photographer. I'm a music producer. And like my queen, Emily Dickinson says, I dwell in possibilities. And on this week's podcast, we are jumping in to Dickinson season three, episode five, saying from the heart, sire, and episode six, a little madness in the spring. We're going to do that with Luca, our guest. Yep, it's our new format. And Luca is back to talk everything Dickinson with us. So let's just get right to it. All right. Well, first of all, let's welcome back Luca. Hey, Luca. (laughs) How are you? Of course, I'm good. Thanks for having me back on. (laughs) Yeah, it's been almost a year. Were you you on? We're reaching almost a year. I guess it'll be a year in November. Yeah, I I think Mm -hmm. it was, it was, season three was on when I came. Like yeah, halfway through it when I was on the first time. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. our yeah. second guest ever on the show. Yeah, well. mm-hmm. <laughs> amazing. Okay, so let's jump right in. Episode five, sang from the heart, sire. So Emily receives a letter from Higginson. How excited is she right now? I mean, she finally gets something from somebody of some caliber, right? She finally somebody that she sought out. That wrote her back and she considers him a free thinker right an abolitionist and she's sharing all of this with Vinny, who is not saying a word she's taking her vow of silence why yes yeah i have Vinny's vow of silence and in quotations of the lambs <laughs> just because i'm a nerd like that <laughs> so, something um <clears throat> something i noticed um Rewatching this episode, there's sort of an interesting theme of like not speaking, sort of with Vinny taking the vow of silence. And then there's the bit with Austin where he kind of um says, Well, why don't you just hit me like you used to hit her? And I was like, yeah. We all knew we just didn't say anything. And so like there's mm-hmm. that idea of sort of not not speaking or something, kind of staying in silence. I thought that was an interesting sort of oh, interesting. There's also the line that Oh, go ahead. This is why I love having Luca on the show. Because <laughs> he'll, you know, they, they'll just make these correlations that like, none of us would have been like, oh, I saw that. Yeah, I mean, it's strange, because like, I feel like well, each episode sort of is so thematically tied together. And you sort of think like, was this even intentional? But it just works so well. But we know that everything is intentional. Yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> fun fact, as we get to the the quilt bazaar betty says something that's indicative of something that's a true fact to the biography of how elena wrote this story um she says that's where we keep the secret messages right in the quilt because they were they were commenting on on how the squares or the triangles were not symmetrical or they weren't um in the right pattern they were in a you know in just different patterns and uh she was pointing it out and i mean as she said it too art doesn't have to make sense yeah and that was that was her comeback to that art doesn't have to make sense i feel like that really sort of encapsulates the very sort of abstract nature of 
the show and Emily's imagination and stuff. Exactly. It's a very, it's, yeah, there's a sim sorry, there's a similar line um, in the previous episode uh, with Walt Whitman, where he says, stop trying to understand and just feel. And I feel mm -hmm. like that's sort of both those lines that and that doesn't have to make sense sort of really kind of capture the, the soul of the show. So I just Googled something because <laughs> Jess, I thought you were going to be like, so it was an alluding, they were alluding to the fact that during the civil war, there were secret I'm messages. Sorry. There. I like, oh, <laughs> go there. But I just Googled and there's an article that says, did quilts carry secret messages? And it says a 1999 book suggested slaves used quilts to send coded messages about escaping on the underground railroad, but it continu continues to anger black history scholars and quilt historians because it's not true. So I just said it's share not that. true. It is not true. No, somebody put it in a book and they're like, no, that never happened. So I thought I'd, <laughs> I, thought I'd share. I thought I'd like bring that around full circle in my brain. <laughs> All right, so be it. I was wrong. It is not a fact. Oh, that's what you were saying. Oh, I didn't. Yeah. I wasn't fact checking. <laughs> I you were talking. I thought you were tying it into her art doesn't have to make sense line, not trying to tie it into history. But I'm sorry. Well, no, I mean that's that's just what she followed that person's comment with. You oh know, yeah. This woman standing before her, like essentially angering her, telling her, "Well, none of this is good enough." Right. And she points out that art doesn't have to make sense, and of course we've talked about how everything's been so subjective. Totally. Totally. But uh, what do we think about the disapproving nature and energy around Amherst, around uh, how the town feels about Mr. Dickinson? Mm. Yeah, there's this real sort of thing in this episode, or the whole season really, about like sort of choosing sides. And that's mm. obviously mm -hmm. shown with the civil war going on. But there's sort of this kind of idea of, um, you know, fa is family more important or... Um, I think Mrs. Dickinson makes a comment like family's all we have. And mm -hmm. so then there's that idea that Mr. Dickinson's sort of wanting to side with his brother. Um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting as well because then there's the divide with, um, you know, Austin and Sue and sort of you see at the end of this episode. Mm. Um, uh, so yeah, it's interesting. There's also the bit about like his birthday and um, there's a comment about like him being a fossil. There's this sort of it's mm -hmm. idea that that he's his ways are sort of old-fashioned and you know it's kind of that um there's also many sort of references this season of like the idea of him dying and what's his legacy going to be and how will he be remembered and yeah. that really all sort of then culminates in episode eight with the will um but yeah it's sort of there's some interesting parts here that kind of set that up yeah yeah, and we see in episode six too, we we see him kind of devolve in that manner where he's like almost in a panic where, right, he's now he's panicking. Like, what am I leaving behind? What's going to have my name mm. on it? So he's desperate. And, you know, as we see in episode six, which will break down that he takes the family to the asylum <laughs> because he's trying to be a, a partner, right, a shareholder. Um. <clears throat> But yeah, I, I completely agree with with there being this essentially a house divided cannot stand stance, mm. um, you know, 
where there's trials in every home, especially when we see in the Evergreens, the divide between Sue and Austin, you know, in the Dickinson homestead, we see the divide between essentially Edward and everyone else. Like everyone is following suit except for Austin. However, Emily still chooses him. Mm. Knowing what she will then come to know, you know, about about Austin and him being right essentially about their father. Yeah. Um well, yeah. I want to I definitely want to talk about Emily's reaction and what happened when Austin <clears throat> after he sang that beautiful song with her, what happened there, but um one thing I want to say about um the thing about Mr. Dickinson and his family in the south is that it really reminded me of what happened here um after 2016 when so many people had to deal with relatives who did not kind of came to light. They did not think the same way that the rest of the family thought. Um, and in my experience, just to be perfectly transparent in my experience, it was, I had a lot of friends who had a, um, a lot of issues with uh, people who voted for Trump. And a lot of my friends are queer and, um, um, uh, you know, could be considered marginalized for many reasons. So we're very conflicted about uh, Donald Trump presidency and scared for a lot of reasons for our rights, which we're seeing now, the culmination of all that. Um, but I remember talking to people and it was just really hard and because you love your family and you don't, and you know, you want to be able to stay close to them, but it was such a divisive time for all of us. Um, it just kind of reminded me of that. I don't know if that was a direct, I'm sure Elena, you know, I'm sure that was in there for a reason. I don't know if it's highlighting that, but you know, mm. there's so many similarities between our, our country is still so divided. It's never been not divided since the civil war. So. So Emily then seeks out Sue, right? She, she goes to convince her to come to the sing-along. And she goes there, she finds Sue crying, she's a mess, she explains herself, but then she professes her love to her, like she actually puts it into words and says it to her, mm. and, uh, you know, Sue's reaction was just very visceral. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful moment. Um, I remember sort of when those episodes were coming out, a lot of people in the fandom were sort of talking about like, Emily's never said I love you to Sue and all this sort of stuff. And then obviously there's the moment um, in um, Faf's bar where she sort of shouts that out. But then in this episode, she comes along mm -hmm. and she's able to express that. Um, you know, when she says, you are my everything, it's just sort of, it's such like a, a heartfelt moment. And um, I actually think that I know that there was meant to be a kiss in this scene and then because of COVID it wasn't able to happen watching it back I don't think it was necessary yeah because I feel like the no. the connection between them you know mm -hmm. was just so strong and like when she just kind of like hugs her or sort of encompasses her like it's just yeah you, you feel their love so much and I feel like the kiss wasn't needed yeah, and then to tell her, you might be his wife, but I'm yours, like, mm. that kind of solidified that moment, I think, uh, for them. There's a lot of, as well, sort of, like, 
kind of cheeky lines in this season like with the, yeah uh, you know <laughs> you're really hot when you're pregnant or whatever it was um yeah and then there's a sort of it feels like you know elena was aware of the the things that fans were saying oh yeah totally you know there's this thing too when um i don't know if this has ever happened to um I, any of you as actors but I know that like it's a directing thing sometimes that if you make it where actors can't touch physically and they're doing a scene you can do it during um during rehearsals but it actually can really ramp up the chemistry <laughs> because everything mm. has to be focused in a different way um so i was i was thinking the same thing luca when i saw it this time i'm like i'm so glad they didn't kiss like there's so much energy and so much truth mm. in this connection mm. that they had and because I don't know. It was just perfect. And I, you know, sometimes in filming constraints can really give you a, like some kind of magic you might not have hit without it. Although with those two, we probably would have gotten magic too, but yeah, it was really touching, really, really touching. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> as we kind of fast forward through the episode, um, I really like this sequence between henry and the troops that he's the soldiers that he's speaking to um i really feel like this was this stuck out more to me than anything in the episode like i was all there for emily and sue and the entire dickinson family but henry's speech to them about why it's important for them to learn how to read and write was just yeah extremely powerful to me uh -huh. I, I love how he sort of talks about you know the history of america being like a paradox and he says like the future yeah. and the past coexist and we have to yeah mm. i think he says we have to sort of um you know look at the past to be able to move into the light and that's really sort of the whole the whole arc of the season where it's like you know this idea of move, she like emily with kind of when she goes into the inferno it's like she has to confront sort of the darkest part to then be able to um move into the light and then the season of course ends with a song um i can't remember exactly but it's something like it's got light in the in the name or something um you know when she's sort of rowing up on the boat um i think it definitely is deeper yeah. than like I, I, like him saying that is like deeper than than anything i think i mean and the reason it's happening in this scene is to think about all the basically all the hurt and pain that like yeah. black black and brown people have gone through right and then if you like ignore the past it's just gonna keep repeating mm. itself right and we see it today black people are still heavily marginalized and 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 still living this immense amount of pain like nothing has changed mm. There's, a, there's an also really interesting parallel with Austin where he says, um, when he kind of calls out Edward and he says, can't make a new future if I lie about the past. And so there's like this co-current things with, you know, Henry and the troops sort of, um, you know, having to deal with those sort of racial tensions. And then there's Austin sort of wanting to be a different man to his father and sort of, you know, move on and go forward that way. And so there's this sort of, yeah, interesting things about sort of looking at the past to then sort of improve the future. I mean, it just goes to show how incredible this show is at mm. threading, the, threading the needle 
throughout every episode and, and then sure of, everything is tightly knit of course i know we're not specifically talking about this episode but how thematically relevant is then the sylvia plath episode where they literally go into the future you know like when i'm hearing this scene with henry and he's talking about you know we have to get to the future it's like then that happens so yeah um jess you sort of just in my notes, you've kind of, you've skipped over a tiny bit. Just, I wanted to talk about the bit with Austin and Sue, um, when Sue kind of goes to Austin and, mm, um, mm -hmm. you know, says, says, let's go to the sing-along. And you really see sort of, you know, Austin is completely broken, um, but you see that kind of he wants to look after the baby and then Sue sort of doesn't feel safe and she's like, you know, you'll drop him. And then she makes a really interesting comment, which is like, um, I think she says um, men just aren't good nurturers or yeah. fathers, fathers just aren't good nurturers. And then she yeah. says, why don't, why don't you go fight in the war? That's what men do. And so there's this sort of, I think it's really interesting because it brings to life that like both of them are victims of the patriarchy and both of them mm -hmm. have these mm -hmm. sort of warped ideas of gender roles. And because of that, they've both got this, you know, really significant miscommunication because, you know, Austin, wants to be a father for his son. And then Sue sort of doesn't understand that. And she's sort of, you know, pulled the baby away from him and that's made him be in pain. And then he's dealt with that pain in other ways with drinking. So yeah, I think, I think it's sort of, it's a really interesting dynamic that you sort of, how you kind of see those, those characters. And then obviously but my in, the next, in the next episode, they're able to sort of then start to understand those different perspectives. Yeah. Well, my only question is like when he takes a step toward her, though, mm. her reaction to that makes you, or at least in my opinion, would make people question whether or not he's ever like struck her. Mm. Mm. Like if there was a violent aspect to their relationship internally that no one saw that she that's why she was so reactionary the way she was stepping back into the corner it could have also been previous abuse yeah mm. true like what within her household or you know yeah before it her marriage. Be a triggered response yeah for sure and you, i mean you see austin is scary in this episode especially mm. you know he's really got this sort of reckless presence yeah um so yeah you definitely kind of feel that you know you wouldn't want to give him him a baby but you can also sort of see from his perspective that he's just sort of hurting and longing for this connection that he's sort of not able to have. So yeah, I think it's really interesting. Yeah. I think that really stems from the fact that he doesn't have a or the best connection with his own father mm. at the current moment that he wants to kind of uh, mend that with his own relationship to his, his boy. Mm. But he's always wanted kids too. I mean, there has to be a reason. From the very beginning, he's always yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It's so interesting that scene. I remember when um, those words when they came out of Sue's mouth. I was like, "What?" Mm. <laughs> I had to really think about it and be like, "Oh yeah, of course. Like, of course she's, you know, been under the patriarchy for so long. And even when you're oppressed by something, you know, it's like all you know and you buy into it." Um, yeah, this is a really good scene. 
was a really good scene. I think that's one of his best scenes, in my opinion. I actually thought it was interesting, that surprise element that he had walking in right to the sing-along and then it seems like everything's gonna move into a moderately positive direction mm-hmm. and then he takes that hard left turn and mm. goes I want a divorce yeah well, <laughs> I, I wanted mean, to oh, go ahead well I'm just saying like that would surprise me if I was sitting there at a party with my family and you know my spouse walks up and says something like that I would he said, want to be he taken said, back he said actually psych <laughs> psych <laughs> we're I'm ruining the party <laughs> <laughs> I'm crashing this party actually well one thing that struck me about this and going back to what you were saying about how Emily chooses her dad like Austin is pure chaos right now and mm. he speaks the truth but he also like it's so unfair to call out abuse when the abused person is there and not able to handle it. Like that is such an unfair position to put somebody in. Um, that it made sense to me this time that of course, Emily's not going to side with him. Like you don't do that. Like you should call out abuse and you should do that, but like you don't victimize the victim again by calling them out if if they're not like ready for it or I a part of me was like yeah I totally wouldn't you know I well I mean either. it wasn't yeah, like I he mean, was standing up for her it's like he used her to me yeah mm. yeah I feel like he was using her basically like as a not a shield but like a weapon yeah and it's like absolutely. your weapon you're yeah you're weaponizing my trauma is totally. what you're doing and you're like I, a per- yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he says the, I mean, what he says the truth. I mean, their marriage is a sham. He says all these things, but it's a really, yeah, he doesn't know how to really go about it. To to do some film analysis for a minute, um, I really Mm. love the moment when Austin is sort of giving that speech and there's like this really sort of subtle zoom in with the camera and then Mm -hmm. sort of when when he says, um, I'm divorcing you, there's just, the kind of the music just kicks in and it's just sort of this really sort of dark like hopeless tone and it's so sort of contrasted from the songs previously which are all about hope yeah, yeah. And it is, it's, yeah. it's just really like impactful moment and I just feel like yeah the sort of the filmmaking is really well done um I'm not sure was it Silas who directed this or someone else yeah Silas Howard um, yeah yeah um anyway I I, I really sort of that moment stood out to me um yeah, no. but there's a lot of tension like from the moment he walks in and there's that bit with um where edward says uh, you should teach that song to your young boy and sue goes <laughs> me and emily and then austin <laughs> looks over and and austin's like you kind of think like he knows something's going on well that was a big question you know? right yeah Is that, i remember the whole fandom was like does he know? And I felt like that's what I was waiting for. It's like, oh, that's what he's going to do is he's going to call out everything. Um, yeah, pe- people were sort of speculating he was going to out them. Um, I think because later in the Inferno, he sort of says, um, like Emily says, like, you, you, you knew we were together. And he was like, not like that, I didn't. So I think he had some idea something was going on, but he couldn't maybe comprehend the extent of it or 
Well, at this point, he's off yeah. having. Is has Jane still there? Or did Jane leave yet? No, she she she's left. Also, so she's left. But when she when she was yeah. there, he was off getting yeah. drunk and doing Jane. So like, yeah, maybe he didn't get it to the extent, right? He was probably either yeah. drunk or hungover most of it. I don't know. You never really mm. know. I always think that moment in season one where he sort of walks in on them kissing. It's interesting because I feel like at, at that stage, it was like he just, you know, the idea that, you know, two women could be together would just be so foreign to him. He wasn't able to like, I feel like he kind of just, you know, blocked it out because he sort of just couldn't even sort of. Did he? Accept <laughs> I don't know. It. I don't yeah. know. I, I was, yeah, I guess I've just always been like, oh, Austin, you knew. Like you knew, but you're like, right. like he, he knew, but he was in denial sort of thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And wanted like, yeah. yeah. Well, he was in denial because he was still out to have Sue. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. But but you have to knew. place it in the time too. Right. That like two women couldn't be together like that unless you were um, in England, apparently and very rich. And then you could be with a woman, <laughs> but sorry, Jess, I cut you off. Also, also, can we talk about uh, Mrs. D falling in her wedding dress? <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. D. Like, it's sometimes she's not a domestic goddess. Sometimes she's a dumpster fire. I don't know what you're and... talking about. That was domestic <laughs> goddess as fuck, okay? That was the most domestic goddess shit I've ever seen her do, actually. <laughs> because she <laughs> fell down the flight of stairs so fucking gracefully <laughs> and still looked absolutely amazing doing it okay oh my gosh it's interesting i feel like mrs dickinson has a real focus like both these episodes yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i feel like correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like season three we got more of a dive into mrs dickinson oh yeah mm. she's got a character arc now like she's starting to turn right I mean, we see her finally speaking out a teeny bit, right? Starting yeah. that tea party where she just made that remark and like Mike dropped and walked out of the room. And even though the men brushed it off, it's like, right? That was, I, I mean, don't know. We also just see her pain now. We see everything mm. she's kept mm. under locking yeah. key now. <laughs> totally. I feel like her dropping down in her wedding dress is, is kind of like, I. You know, when people go through like a midlife crisis, she's going mm. through her crisis right now. She is, you know, I don't believe in a midlife crisis, but I feel like she's going through her crisis right now. She is, she is living her chaos right now. I think well, there's crisis at any age where all of a sudden you're like, yeah. what the oh, I have a what did I do? Yeah. You're like, what? Look, listen, I Who better than I? most, I better than most, I have crisis every other week. Okay. Like, <laughs> I thrive in chaos, okay? So the, that's why I connect with Mrs. Dickinson so much. Speaking of Mrs. Dickinson, there's it's the bit where she's sort of telling the story of um, you know, getting married to Edward. And then she sort of <laughs> is talking about like yeah, it, it I find often the Mrs. Dickinson scenes blend the comedy and the tragedy quite well. Yes. Um, yes. Really well. Yeah. Yeah. But so there's the bit where then she's sort of talking and then she's reminded of her sister and then she just starts sobbing. Um, and then Emily goes and plays the song on the piano. And it's sort of, she's carrying all, yeah, I mean, her arc, of course, like leading up to then sort of the bit with the um, the mouse. 
she she's holding onto all that grief from Lavinia. <laughs> Yeah. And it's still such a funny scene though. Like yeah. for me, I feel like Mrs. Dickinson, and the reason I love her so much and I relate to her, I feel like Mrs. Dickinson is me after a really long night out and I've drank a lot. <laughs> and it's like I have I'm I have all this comedy <laughs> and all this funny funniness all throughout the night. And at the end of it, I'm just crying. Hmm. And oh. then at the end, and then at the end of crying, I'm like, can we go get waffles? <laughs> you know, it's just it's one of those things. That's why I love She's her like, so much. She's like, can we go get bluebells? <laughs> Yo, I found bluebell here in Arizona. <laughs> I had it the yes. other day. Oh, bluebell is ice cream, by the way. It's ice cream from okay. Texas, if you guys don't understand. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. I'm seeing, is it got a cow on it? It's got a few. Yeah, it's got a okay, cow. A few, yeah. okay. Yeah, and honestly, I, I hadn't found, like, any little semblance of home here and then I found bluebell and I was like oh my god yay, yay. Mm-hmm. all right Vinny's dancing yes in the scene I just <laughs> I just love her Lavinia, I love TikTok her so here. much I get so excited every time she gets like a close-up or a medium mm-hmm. close-up or a shot like her, her own shot and then it's in the wide shot and I think again pandemic filming right they weren't mm. all in the same room at the same time yeah that's so yeah. interesting like, I think Mr. Dickinson was because he was reacting to her dancing and maybe Ella was, I say the characters and then I say the actor's name. Yeah, yeah. And then Sue was because she, I think, was reacting too and their eyeline was perfect on it. Um, but yeah, I wish I knew who was in there. But anyway, she just, she's it's re- just gold. <laughs> it's really interesting. The sort of like, um, Emily's like on the piano and the camera kind of pans and then it sort of fades like a few different moments of them singing different songs but Emily sort of stays it's the same shot mm, yeah and it's it's really it looks really cool um, yeah but so Haley was like you know there in one shot and then they've sort of put the others in yeah kind of like um, a like a time lapse yeah, uh, yeah revolving shot yeah 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 um I can't I can't remember like all the different songs but I think like all of them sort of spoke to sort of like hope in difficult times um but of course most of all um Emily when she sings uh is it hard times come again no more uh, that's like I mean Haley's got an amazing voice and it's like it's a really powerful moment where the sort of montage you see like Henry and all the soldiers around the fire Henry sort of trying to write a letter and then you see Betty with her daughter and sort of uh austin kind of watching um you know the little cousins with the baby and him wanting to be there um also ella hunt singing Mm. so beautiful yes i i just like every every time she sings in this show it's just like oh my god um she got like there's the christmas bit and then obviously split the lark and then i'm I'm really glad we got that bit here because yeah Yeah. um yeah did you did you all read that um they were talking about behind the scenes that when they were doing it people like I think Ella was saying that she teared up at one point mm -hmm. because it was beautiful Haley's got a beautiful voice and it was also like they are back together in the pandemic and they have all these things that they can't do it's really hard to film in the pandemic like incredibly hard to film all the time and you know they were all talking about just what a moment it was how like you know 
you can be on set and something could just transport you out and you're just sitting there reacting to this moment in real time. And uh, yeah, she was just saying that it just hit everybody super hard. I could just imagine mm. that. Yeah, I mean, you know, just watching it, you feel that. So imagine yeah. like being in the room would be, I mean, Dickinson, I feel like is such sort of an escapist kind of feeling. And then you're sort of, you know, in the pandemic where you feel like so restricted and stuff. It would have been a really sort of powerful moment. Yeah. And that was 2021. So yeah. we were in it, deep in it. Yeah. Haley's acting when she's like, she just says to Austin, she's like, I choose our father. Yeah. Like, she does so much. She's so talented. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, a really sort of, interesting turn point in the season where she sort of says you know i choose him um yeah i think you know edward and emily's relationship this season is so interesting it's a really sort of fascinating arc because like i feel like you know their characters and their relationship is so complex throughout like you know from season one um so i think it, it all sort of yeah it flow it comes full circle really well by the end of the season yeah, it's so beautifully built out because mm. love is really complex and you take a father-daughter relationship, then you put it in these times, right? With Edward, where slapping your slapping your, you know, child was not a thing back. I'm I mean, it was a thing. You could do it. It wasn't looked mm. at the way it's looked at now back yeah. then, you know? Um but you could tell he loves her so much and it's just mm. it's toxic part of it's so toxic right but there's real love there they really really love each other um and i think toby plays that so well as mm. well because i just edward there's so many times where i'm like oh edward i hate you but yeah. he it's a real fleshed out 3d human being that elena and sure. her team created and then toby kind of brought to life like all the actors but i feel like toby's character is so problematic for yeah me. um it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful watching it. And it's so great I'm, on the rewatch to watch it all again, mm. you know, to, you know, the first time I watched uh, uh, every scene in one way or another, it was the first time and it's like, Oh, when I'm waiting and I'm anticipating and I have my wants and I have my needs and everything. And then on the second time, I'm just like taking it in, like on a whole different mm, level. You can see, see how it's crafted. Yeah. And then, and it's touching me in a different way too. Mm. So it's still, it's still really emotionally engaging. Um, even though I've seen it and I know what's going to happen. I, it's almost like sometimes I'm more present because what I found was that I got so engrossed in it and with the relationship that I'm like, well, what about Sue and Emily? Like I, I would have yeah. my own needs that I, I needed to get from the show. So I'd be watching. I'm like, are they going to get, are they going to, right? Yeah, and yeah. then, and then now, because I've had like the full flush of emotions with the whole show, I can be more emotionally engaged. I'm just discovering this right now, um, but more emotionally engaged with all the characters because I'm kind of more present with them as a viewer. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Hmm. Uh, um, the bit with Lavinia where she um, breaks her silence to call out the family as well, that's sort of <laughs> very similar to then, you know, Austin is sort of, breaking that silence um, when he's sort of calling out Edward. So, you know, she says this family is completely insane. Doesn't Sue course... at the, in the very last episode too, is she the one, Jess, who goes, who says, it's not just Emily when Higginson is yeah. there? 
yes um <clears throat> also for a second uh just to go back uh luca you were talking yeah, yeah. about um how Haley's acting in that moment when when emily chooses her father mm. over austin but let's talk about austin's reaction to that mm. because you could see this micro expression immediately that he was just devastated he was mm. completely convinced that she was going to choose him mm. yeah like you could see that shock that immediate shock and then he's like processing yeah yeah i mean austin's like absolutely at his lowest and i think that mm. you know despite him you know kind of he thinks that he's sort of you know standing up and making a statement there's that bit where sue kind of goes up to him and goes you won't even remember this in the morning yeah and it's sort of it just shows like he's just so lost and broken yeah he he yeah. feels completely defeated and mm. he looks defeated yeah mm. yeah i don't want to talk about the next episode but yeah imagine like after that where he is in his life where he's just told his family I'm out basically. <laughs> and then he's leaving Sue. He can't be with his son. Jane is gone. You know, like definitely the dark night of just, you know, the, wait, what's that called? The dark night of despair. What is it in writing? It's like when you're about to turn a corner, but you have to go through your darkest times. Can't think of it, but poor Austin. Hmm. But I mean, before we move on to the next episode, we should mention um, sort of the ending with Sue and mm -hmm. Higginson letters. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, she, I don't he know. was jealous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's really interesting because like Sue has this really sort of you know personal connection to the poetry and wants to be you know the first person to hear it. And also, I love safe in their alabaster chambers. Mm. such, such mm. a mm -hmm. you know spooky and it's a really resonant poem um was it oh no sorry there was something in the next episode but um yeah so I think it's interesting where she where she says you know she feels very neglected she's like um you know you don't even you didn't even mention me like um it's like I've disappeared yeah I had the baby yeah. that is a really common thing mm. it's a really common thing with with um with moms sometimes and that's really sort of you know you see as well like in episode seven where they have their argument mm -hmm. it's like there's sue is like saying like i i need you i want i want to have you and then emily's sort of you know got the the poetry focus and i think in then um episode nine they're able to really sort of give each other both those things where sue then know publishes the poem and then emily sort of you know they have the night together yeah thinking about that scene and like her being mm. jealous and then also just thinking about like she literally just how long ago maybe it was the same day when emily is like i write for you yeah. sue i can't write I know. without you it's and such then like it is a, a betrayal right i mean yeah. there is part of being jealous like i thought you just wrote for me and then all these you know everything that's going on with the feeling like she's disappearing um but and also there's one thing that's that made total sense to me of just being mad at your friend being like you sound like you're completely helpless like you're making yourself mm -hmm. really fucking small 
to be on some man's desk, right? Like whatever he wrote, like I won't take up any space. And I was like, that isn't even about Emily and Sue. That's just about Emily. You know, even mm. though she says right after that, you don't even mention me, but like just that thought of like making yourself small to be able to get validated by somebody um, mm. I thought was such a valid thing um, to be pissed at your, you know, anybody at that you're close to. Yeah. There's, there's a really great um, parallel from, you know, you mentioned the scene where she's sort of expressing her love and then the scene at the end when Emily was, is it Emily? I think it's no Sue leaves the room to, um, to sort of go look after the baby mm -hmm. and she kind of walks out through the door frame and then there's like a, you know, the, it's framed the same way. The final shot where she sort of storms out. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ugh, Tim or Tim mm. or the DP for all three seasons. No. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. His lighting is so beautiful, even when it's, you know, even when it's not outright and you're not even really noticing it. It's just, it's just exquisite. Yeah. And then she makes that comment, you're just like Austin. You think you're fighting for something, but you're really, you're just running away. That's a really interesting thought. That is interesting. You know. Not Sue keeping the, all the Dickinsons in check. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, look, you crazy away. people. It's like she's. Well, I mean, we even see in the last episode. Mm. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Oh, just like she's run, you know, she's. It's that idea of having to face the past. And it's like if you just kind of run from it, mm. then you can't you can't get to the future. So. But I mean, we do see in the last episode where it's like you know shown as a very comical moment, but when she puts mrs dickinson in her place mm. <laughs> yes she really she literally that. says something to all <laughs> the dickinsons except for edward does she have any lines with edward in the whole show i don't think so oh. yeah. i think she has like a few throwaway lines but nothing yeah. not th i don't want to say throwaway lines but you know plot lines or whatever but well, I think Edward addresses her a few times, but she doesn't really speak. Yeah, she doesn't. Does she doesn't really speak to Lavinia much. They have a couple like moments when they're partying in episode nine and stuff. You sort of see them interacting, but right. Yeah, I think if my memory serves me. Well, I'll so, be very <laughs> excited <laughs> to read in Martha Nell Smith's new book, which about mm. Sue, what that relationship was. Mm. It's got to be there for Vinny to have given her all of. Emily's stuff first to make a anthology out of it. Like there had to be some trust there, or just maybe she, I, I don't know. Just makes me wonder about their relationship in in real life. Should we talk about episode six? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Love to. I just wanted to episode six. I noticed that Sophie Zucker wasn't just a writer, she was the executive story editor for this episode, as well as the episode, episode five, which I didn't realize. Yeah. yeah. So she, I don't know exactly how writer rooms are structured. I mean, I know there's a lead writer. So I know that like the showrunner, Elena, obviously is, is sort of the overarching overview, you know, the guide writer, etc. Um, But yeah, very cool. A little madness in the spring or a lot mm -hmm. of madness. Mm. I would say. I think watching these two episodes back to back was sort of a really interesting experience. Because <laughs> um, I think when, when, you know, we watched it and then there was like a week in between, you sort of, there was 
such like a crescendo of emotions in episode five and then mm. episode six you're like hold on like this is kind of strange but watching it back to back it works really well um and i think you know if episode five is about sort of you know the divide and the splitting apart then episode six is about stitching back together mm. and that's you know shown with the, i would uh, have to agree with that the housewife kit um <laughs> oh, and there's, I see the metaphor oh. yeah there's you know uh it's kind of starts with emily sort of saying that we just have to like cut them off like a, a wounded limb um which is sort of <laughs> she's so dramatic know, yeah <laughs> i know um but it's sort of it's interesting because like it's it speaks to like that you know that divide and that choosing of sides um but uh, yeah, I don't know. This it's a really interesting episode. This um, mm -hmm. there's a lot of sort of themes of like you know fighting for injustice and um, there's the I think the storylines of uh, you know the um, the soldiers and then the women in the asylum sort of both kind of fighting for their own rights is sort of parallels quite nicely. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you really see the system is is against them both sort of women and the people of color um yeah anyway so maybe just sort of go through the episode i've got you know, interesting yeah. can i just um i just want to start off with a little fun fact that yeah. i looked up of and they, they alluded to some of these in the show um women's mental hygiene and what cause you could use to put your wife mm. or daughter in an asylum and so I'm not going to explain them. Some of them, some of them are, are self-explanatory. One of them is like, what? So the first, uh, not in this order of like this one, especially, but, um, tobacco and masturbation it's listed as tobacco and masturbation. <laughs> so I don't know if it's like you're smoking while you're doing it or either, or I don't know, laziness, overtaxing mental powers, hard study, hard study, political excitement, marriage of son no explanation just marriage of son not marriage to son marriage of son so like my <laughs> my wife's son got married and she got upset and i put i don't know um superstition and then being unmarried so obviously that wouldn't be your wife but yeah so those are some of the things that you could be put into an uh, a sane asylum for in the 19th century i would have been locked away yeah, no, I, I would never see the light of day. There's this interesting sort of idea um, in the previous episode as well of, you know, people being silenced. Um, there's a bit mm. we didn't mention, but with um, when Mrs. Dickinson wants to buy the quilt back and then she has to sort of ask Edward to pay for it yeah. because she doesn't have mm. any money of her own. Yeah. Um, and so there's this, you know, the men have all the power and the women are sort of, you know, they're just expected to sort of, go along with it and they can't speak up. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, those ideas of mental sicknesses is, you know, shocking, but it just shows how sort of, you know, closed-minded people were. And Oh, the 19th century was horrible. Yeah. That's when they were, that's when, um, yeah. you know, white men from Europe, white men from America were comparing brain size of different races so they could, mm you know, 
create their supremacy and women. And it was just horrible. <laughs> like mm -hmm. You read some of these things and you're like the 19th century. I mean, the all, the, all the thoughts that underlie all this were always there, but that they had, they were trying to get scientific proof of brain size, you know, is yeah. superiority and stuff. And it was just, obviously the people on the top of the people on the top of the heap were always the white man, the white, mm -hmm. I mean, I would say white straight men, but you know, the, the crazy thing is, is this was the same time they were doing seances. Yeah. Why, why weren't the people doing seances in the <laughs> asylum? Like seances were highly socially acceptable, but everything else wasn't like that They probably wouldn't want you to. Yeah. No, the big people, the rich people were doing it. They were having parties doing seances. Right. But you don't want, you don't want, uh, people in an asylum doing it, they could, who knows what they could do. <laughs> <laughs> it literally so, those white men obviously had a lot of fear. <laughs> so crazy. He's sitting in the asylum with a Ouija board talking I'm to just um, trying to... Queen Victoria. <laughs> I'm just trying to understand like what you said, uh, Robin, about white men had the, had these like kind of irrational fears. Like, why would they fear masturbation? I'm well, curious. like, what? if you want to have power over someone, you don't want to mm -hmm. have somebody getting any pleasure without you in it. If you know, I mean, that's a very that makes sense. It's a very straight man, like pleasure only comes from one place, and it's in between my legs, right, or in between their legs. Like, if they can get pleasure somewhere else, and God forbid, then they they you can't hold power over them. I'm so glad I'm gay. <laughs> not all men um but yeah still very glad i'm gay <laughs> i love um emily's purple dress in this episode mm. that's one of my favorite costumes uh, oh, that's i valid. think that's valid i think one of the first lines that we hear her say in the episode what she says to higginson immediately when he's reading her letter to me encompasses the entire episode you know dear friend war mm. feels to me an oblique place oblique. have you guys looked up oblique yeah no i was going to but i didn't look it up i'm gonna do it right now pull up the google robin oblique neither parallel nor at a right angle to a specified or implied line War feels to me an oblique place. Mm. So yeah. essentially everyone is fighting their own war in this episode, right? You have the people mm. in the asylum, you have the soldiers, mm -hmm. and what Emily says explains the entire episode. And also, um, you know, it to me, oblique is a word that could be used for the entire series, just for the fact that it's unparalleled. Like, mm. you know, no show that we've seen before has created this kind of excitement around revisionist history, you know? Mm hmm Yeah, that's really interesting. But it's Higginson's 
cultural appropriation for me in this episode that's like <laughs> in every episode yeah. <laughs> Ooh, i've never seen such a cringe-worthy moment in a tv show before until that yeah. one <laughs> the, I mean, this is the ep- this is the episode where you know it really sort of comes to light sort of just how you know like he seems to mean well but the system is just sort of so against anything moving forward um and he's not right. doing anything to help it. Well, and he's not really seeing the situation, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's putting them in danger. He's putting them in a horrible position. And he keeps pretending like he's trying to, you know, help them and empower them. But it's like he won't even give them weapons. And they're about to be, you know, there's like attacks coming. So it's just. Yes, but you also have to understand military structure and that there's a lot of red tape. But like okay, in order so, for you to so get hold on hold on <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna have to yeah i agree with you but i'm gonna have to stop you right there because there's something that is deeper here where you're not even giving them weapons it's a it's a vital reflection of what we see today you don't give people education you don't give people knowledge you don't give people mm. the power for them to be able to protect themselves mm. it happens today it's it's all too it's all too there, you know? That's interesting because he does want to give them education. So what's interesting about his character is that he, it's not black and white. Forget the, no, no, not parallel intended, but like he does want them educated. So what's interesting to me is that he is trying. I think in his heart, he's really trying, but he's not seeing, he's appropriating and he's not helping them like he thinks he is. Do you know what I mean? Um, well, I mean like he's not like... a complete oppressor who's like, I just think it's really interesting to look at like, again, at, at, at all the different levels of bias and all the different levels of like what our bias can do to blind us to real situations, right? Even when we're trying to be an ally, like I believe he has really good intentions. He's not a, trying to oppress them, but he doesn't even see, you know what I mean, Jay? So mm. I, I just think it's really interesting somebody who's non-oppressive or is who, is a like oppressing unintentionally you well, know what it's I mean? like it's like most people today it's like they think they're helping but are they really it's like you don't know yeah. that more often than not you're actually getting in the way instead of actually helping you know and there's yeah. there's never anyone telling you what that line is like where that line or where that threshold is to where you can actually be an ally that is useful right yeah and not getting in the way <laughs> totally yep it's like he's giving them education but he's not like stepping out of their way for them to further use it you know yeah back to what you were saying though just with all the red tape there was nothing he really could have it was them or him like he could have lost his job basically if he would have did anything well and and he was an officer he didn't actually fight or know how mm. Mm. It's sort of, I mean, we're kind of, you know, not completely going in order here, but at, at the end when they sort of, you know, find out that the, um, the Confederates are on the march and, um, you know, I think there's a line one of them says, like, nothing changes, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then they have this, like, group hug. And I feel like you really see the camaraderie of, sorry, com- camaraderie of this group. Um, you know, I think it's sort of, I really, 
appreciated this storyline and this inclusion mm-hmm. of the season. I think these are really sort of significant characters. Um, you know, some people might have thought they took too much time away from other characters, but I'm really sort of, you know, glad that we have that because I think it, it sort of it parallels the stuff going on in Amherst really well and it's sort mm-hmm. of, it's a really sort of significant perspective on the war that isn't often sort of, you know, wouldn't usually have light shed on it. Um, also in this episode, I absolutely love the, um, the montage with the, uh, the fashion killer song and the, you know, doing all the sewing and fixing up their uniforms. That's just so much fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, should we kind of go back to the asylum, which is sort of. Yeah. Uh, to me, Emily was sus. Like the minute they got there, she was sus. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, Mrs. Dickinson was trying to not be locked up the whole time, trying a little too hard. Mm. <laughs> and uh, Vinny was just having the time of her life. Um, yeah, no, I was going to say, like, with Emily, this, you know, there's the bit where she says, like, you know, it's just in my head. And then the asylum guy is sort of, you know, kind of, there's the, the red flags. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's sort of that going on. There's an interesting sort of thing with um, Mrs. Dickinson sort of, you know, finding that woman who sort of says, oh, yeah, the asylum's the best place. I don't have to do any work. Um, and then Emily kind of goes down the stairs and she sort of then sees this really sort of inhumane treatment. And that sort of shows, I guess, maybe these kind of two perspectives. Um, also, you see the staircase, which is the same staircase that we later see in the Inferno, mm. Um, mm. which is really cool. And I think that um, I want to shout out the music, like when she's walking through the asylum, um, Drum and Lace and Ian Hultquist, you know, always, um, you know, bring so many sort of feelings, but there's just this such like a creepy atmosphere um, and it's done really well. Um, but yeah, so sort of, Emily's discovering that and then Mrs. Dickens is going on her own journey. Um, and then there's a bit with Lavinia. Uh, I have mixed feelings about Lavinia's arc this season. What are your thoughts on it? I'd say I'd have mixed feelings as well. Yeah. Um, elaborate, elaborate. What are the yeah. feelings? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm here to discuss. I... I think it makes sense, but it's also just feels a bit of a shame that in season two, she really sort of is very independent and she's sort of like saying like, oh, what if I don't want to get married? And she's sort of, you know, taking the leadership with ship. Um, And then sort of this season, she's just obsessed with like wishing she had a husband. And I understand there's like this idea of, you know, regret because of the war and it feels like we've sort of, you know, missed out on, on opportunities. Um, I don't know. It's a bit, it's a bit strange. Cause like this whole thing where she just like sort of is wanting men. And then the bit, the bit that I sort of this episode struck me when they bring up Joseph Lyman mm-hmm. and, and then, you know, Lavinia finds out that he always loved her or whatever. And it's like, you you know he he was a dick why why are you why do you care first love 
first yeah well i don't even think you could be really blind to that yeah yeah maybe not but i mean i could i don't know it's just it it, i i think it makes sense the whole theme of like regret look my ex was one of the worst human beings on the planet to me at the time that doesn't mean it didn't hurt yeah don't i don't think about it Mm. for sure i mean rejection is rejection even if an asshole rejects you yeah i think it, it makes I it worse. It makes it worse when. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I might. I might have to sort of watch the whole season again to sort of see how it progresses. But I think it's sort of. I thought it was a bit strange how they focused a lot on Joseph Lyman. They sort of mention at the start of the season that both Joseph and Ship were gone, right? Yeah. Well, and Joseph think, Lyman was a real person too, so yeah. maybe maybe he did figure. I larger in the real in her real life, you know. Maybe, maybe and he, he had had that kind Ship of hair. Ship was too. a real person too. Ship was a real person, but I don't yeah. know. If they yeah. But I think I think Lyman was yeah. a family friend. I don't know if she- was Ship. Maybe yeah. She was too. Yeah. Well, I don't know. They they changed some of the ages. Like in real life, Lola Montez mm. was twenty years older, and you know they've sort of shuffled things around. Um, yeah. I will say one thing about Vinny though that this just yeah. struck me, Luca, when you were talking was that. Yeah. You know, all the young men w- went to war. Yeah. Like, so maybe there just wasn't, maybe maybe it was kind of easier to be independent when there were still young men around and you could reject them. And then all of a sudden they're all gone, you know? Yeah. And like, I don't know. It just, anyway, I don't know. Yeah. It's not a fully fleshed no. out thought, but I was like, maybe For that sure. had Vinny being like, where, where is everybody? Oh God, they're dying. You know, I don't know. For sure. No, I, I, I do appreciate uh, and I think Lavinia gets some really great moments um, in the episode after this. Um, I think, I don't know, the, the focus on Joseph was just a bit strange because I feel like Joseph was a character that we didn't like very much. And I feel like maybe if they'd actually put the focus on Ship, who was a you know problematic and flawed character, but I feel like we connected with him somewhat more in terms of we sort of, you know, we, we, he, he had a bit of a, I mean, I think, I think both um, Joseph and Ship are actually quite, funny characters um, i will say i don't believe yeah. this Vinny or this version of Vinny is at all this is going to be controversial but i don't think it's at all like the way she actually thought in real life because she right. was very yeah. opposed to marriage like she very publicly rejected people. interesting and then she also it, it was it's written in text basically that she basically all she could think about or all she could worry about was her family. Mm. She knew that that yeah. was her role. That's very interesting. I, I wonder if she, in real life, if she was Arrow Ace or something. Um, yeah, but so, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting and, and it's when she sort of has that conversation with the other woman, you know, it brings up all those themes of grief, which are prevalent this season. Um, I don't know. I just sort of, it, it's moments like that where I kind of, I missed season two Lavinia Mm. um I think you know she makes a comment she's like I wish you know I had a husband that I could do whatever for and it's like it sort of seems a bit contradictory but I yeah I don't know I understand it and I really love Anna and the role and yeah she gets some great moments with Emily um but yeah I don't know that's I've got mixed feelings on that but I think you know Sue and Austin and Emily and like so many other character arcs are done to perfection so yeah, I don't know. That's that's my one sort of thing. But um, I think Sue and Austin, this episode, they get a pretty small scene, but it's um, it's really interesting. Um, 
where, you know, after such a divide in the previous episode, Sue is, I don't know, because somewhat you kind of think like, should have they shown that kind of on screen? But I feel like you understand that, you know, in the space between those episodes, Sue has reflected on what's happened. Mm. And she's kind of recognised, like, you know, that, you know, Austin wants to be a father and, you know, I, th- I think it's it's interesting that there was so much miscommunication and then this episode she kind of comes in and she says, you know, we're in a non-traditional marriage, why don't we sort of be non-traditional parents and a sort of, it's a beginning of a, a communication between them, mm. um, which is so wholesome and fulfilling where you sort of see like you know they're both not perfect but they're better off working together Um, yeah I think you hit the nail on the head that you know that's mm. like she's been thinking about this I mean she's Mm. been from from the very first episode of season season three she's been saying this is not okay I want this this is not okay I want this right and she never Mm. did that before I mean she kind of did it in season two but it was more you know she well, she was, was trying to be someone else and she was yeah. in this whole different world. So it wasn't coming from a place of like self-reflection of like, mm. no, what's the world I want to live in? What's the world I want? I want Emily. I need mm. like, you know, after making that realization and then like Emily's not there fully for her the way that she wants. And she's telling her that. Because um, at first I was like, oh, that was quick <laughs> you know, to, to go from like yeah. last episode. But then I was like, well, no, because she's been spending all this time with her baby too and babies mm. sleep or they're just crying and you're thinking of things you're not you know like she's probably been thinking about this um yeah i feel like it, it's one of those things that kind of works a lot better when you actually watch them back to back yeah when you have the space in between you sort of have all these expectations and then it almost feels a bit underwhelming but yeah when you sort of go from one to the other you you see that sort of that contrast and that yeah, that, that reconciliation is really nice. Yeah, um, the, the kiss on the forehead was just really, mm. and Ella's reaction to it, it was just, it was really beautiful. Like, it was just a yeah. really beautiful, simple moment. Um, made me wonder, like, if that was Adrian's choice, if that was a director's choice, or if it was on the script. You know, these little, mm. small, especially when they're actions. Um, I'd be really interested to know that. It was just a really mm. beautiful moment. And it's also then quite tragic at the end when, you know, after that, just right after they've kind of worked it out and Austin's finally kind of gets to be with the baby, he gets drafted. Yeah. And it's like this real sort of, you know, brings in that, that hopelessness again, where it's like, you know, there's just sort of no, no one, you know, everyone's having to go to war and there's just this sort of looming threat and, misery i think i think you know this a a lot of episodes but this one especially the end of it sort of sets up the next one really well Mm. you know i think another one that sort of stands out to me like that um is episode seven of season two when sort of you know she gives all the poems to sam and then she's going to get published and there's mm-hmm. just this like feeling of like, oh no, what's she done now? Like, oh my god, was, yeah, yeah, <laughs> don't do it. Yeah, yeah. I guess 
I mean, I do have to say that I knew, I knew watching the third season, what happened in real life with Austin. Yeah. And then I was wondering if they were going to do it. And, and of course they did. And we all know that he paid to stay mm. out of the war, which is, mm. you know, it's unfortunate when you're drafted, when you're rich, it's less unfortunate mm. <laughs> back then, I guess, cause you could, you know, you could basically give some money to go. I think it's really interesting though. Then after that, he's sort of really reflecting on that moral choice. Mm -hmm. he feels he feels really guilty about it mm -hmm. so got that tension because he wants to be there for his family he's always had a really good yeah. moral compass even if he yeah. can't act on things in a healthy way he's always been trying to be a good person mm. you know i've always i've always respected that part of his character even though mm. he pisses me off sometimes but yeah. it's like he's you I know mean, austin he... i think he his character you know at first, at the start of season three, it's a little bit jarring the way, you know, he ends season two, he's sort of, things with Sue are a mess, but he feels like he's sort of matured quite a lot. And then you sort of go to season three where he's just, you know, this completely reckless character. Um, but I think, you know, his, his arc throughout the seasons actually works really well. Um, because, you know, the effect that the war has had on everyone, you know, is just sort of, you know, really impacted people in all sorts of ways. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's really, really interesting. And Adrian's performance is, is amazing writing and everything. Yeah. She's not a lunatic. She's just a poet. That's one of my favorite lines. And also uh, pardon my part of my sanity in a world. Insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, cause isn't there a line in, um, this is episode two where Fraser says something like, you know, you're not, it's, you're not the crazy one. It's everyone else who's, mm. who's saying, so yeah, there's this real idea of, you know, the world is, is backwards and insane. And Emily is, you know, she can like sort of see the truth, you know, it's, it, it sort of goes back to like, you know, with Ben, where they're sort of talking about like marriage and it's like, you know, it, it's just sort of this system that, you know, is so oppressive and yeah, it's like she, she can sort of, she's so, um, you know, beyond her time. Yeah. Um, you know, she's the only sane one, which is really. And then Abby yeah. is the truth sayer. I think Jay, you said that, right? Yeah. Aren't you the one that coined that, that she's like the truth sayer? And then the no, that was that was Vi. Oh, it was Vi. Oh, was it okay? And um, sorry, it's a lot of noise going on in the background. Um, yeah, the truth sayer Abby's like such a truth sayer, and she's standing up, and she of course gets locked into the basement, mm. not in the pretty part of the asylum. She's put down in the basement. Yeah, there's sort of like this um. You know, there's obviously the protest, um, you know, where they all sort of break out and then obviously then, you know, it kind of cuts between um, Henry's group and Henry's sort of saying, like, I'm going to go call Higginson out on his bullshit. So there's a sort of, I don't know, it's, it's a really sort of, this episode's sort of a bit overlooked, I feel like, because it's kind of, there's a lot of big beats that happen um, sort of, you know, and this kind of slips in between, but I feel like, you know, it's a really well-structured episode on its own. Yeah. 
Yeah, when I think about the story structure of, you know, the entire mm. series, really, mm. there are the big episodes, there are the big moments, the big points, but, the, you know, they all tie together and they all, it's so well put together that mm. they can't exist without the other, really, in, in mm. the way that... In, yeah, there's no, there's no filler episodes. Like, no. Yeah. Not at all. It's all important and it's all tied together in one way or another. Mm. Um such good writing. All right, Mrs. Dickinson at the end, <laughs> they go home and she says yeah. she's going to bed and do not disturb me until the war is over. <laughs> so she has turned the corner now. I forget, I forget the next time we see her start to, you know, at one point even say to Edward, go make your own food, but. I mean, I, I always wonder though, like what did they eat? Cause isn't Maggie, taking a break or something you know i guess i guess the emily and lavinia would have cooked something up but yeah we haven't seen maggie in a while have we? Yeah, yeah. we saw maggie y'all i think oh she's in episode four and then we don't see her again until the finale oh uh, yeah and I, I think i think i think they they mentioned it at one point that she's like she's on a break or something i can't i can't really remember her, but she went to visit her family yeah yeah oh okay yeah. Um, it's okay but i guess so we don't really see it but i guess you know edward's hopeless so emily and lavinia would have had to keep things running i guess well you know that's really interesting because the baby's there oh right so we saw her we saw her when the baby was born i was just wondering i guess sue had somebody like a maggie in her house yeah to help take care of the house true only the Hmm. the demonic cousins Right. <laughs> <laughs> Who babysit now? Who she's like, I'll leave yeah. my kid with him. Yeah. As long as there's no matches around, I'm fine with that. Oh, there's there's a it's in episode five, it's really funny when um Emily comes in and she's like, um, Oh, I'm sure you're doing great with your baby. Sue, where's your baby? <laughs> oh yeah, right. When she turns around and looks at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> timing that Haley has. Just... Yeah. <clears throat> it's so good. Yeah. um but yeah episode six it really sort of progresses um edward and emily's relationship in a really interesting way um you know edward's sort of given this choice again between sort of his family and then his legacy um and you know he chooses emily and it's sort of this moment where you're like okay he does love her and he's not gonna sort of give her up but then you know, it's sort of like, I don't know, it's, it's very interesting sort of how then, you know, in episode eight, you kind of get that moment where then after everything, she stood by him and you've, they've sort of formed that connection. And then he still sort of can't get past those sort of traditional ideas he has. He is a fossil. Yeah. <laughs> he has fossilized ideas. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's I really more than just... I, you you say first and then yeah i was just gonna say well to me their relationship is just simply codependent Mm. Mm. i'd i'd really love and i know supposedly they haven't been edited and they're locked away somewhere i'd really love to see them one day but apparently there was a deleted scene in episode 10 where emily had a moment with her father and we've only seen because there, there was in the behind the scenes photos there was like a photo of them kind of talking out the front of the house 
And oh. as the series currently stands, like their last interaction is episode eight with their argument. And so that, you know, and it's a very powerful sort of ending, but it's sort of interesting that we don't get that closure and there potentially was going to be, but sort of for whatever reason, it wasn't included. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. There is no closure between them, is there? No. But yeah, there, there was meant to be a scene in the finale, so I'm not, I'd really love to, you know, at least kind of hear what that would have been or what that would have included. Dickinson box set. Yeah, we can only hope. We can only keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> so. Hope is all we have. That's right. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you coming back to of course. speak with us, Luca. Yeah. It's always a good conversation to have your insight. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love, you know, analyzing and discussing this show so much, and I haven't been able to do it in a really long time, so... Definitely after I finish school, I want to like rewatch the whole, the whole show and just sort of take notes on everything. And yeah. <laughs> they said, I feel I'm like... going to sit on my couch for days. And <laughs> this. It's only 15 hours, the whole thing. One day, one day. Yeah. That would be pretty emotionally draining. All right. I have one oh, um, yeah. non. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do you all think Haley Steinfeld is coming out with? Is it a music video? <laughs> yes, it's a mu music yeah. video. I, th I think they've been filming the Coast music video. Oh, okay. But I don't know what's happening with her album, and I feel like Republic Records have not been, you know, letting her do things how she wants, and that's very frustrating. Well, as far as like her film career, where would you like to see it take off? Yeah, I mean, I'd really, I mean, you know, from this show alone, you see how much range she has. I'd really love well, to yeah. see her sort of, you know, in what, what I've sort of noticed, I mean, and obviously kind of, I guess, Emily's a character kind of grew up, but in all her roles, she's always sort of been either the kid or like the younger sort of sidekick kind of character. Um, exactly. I feel like, I, you know, she's 25. Like I'd love to see her take on a more sort of adult mature role um, just in terms of being so, uh, a, an independent sort of character, not you know, like even Hawkeye, like she's an adult, but she's sort of the sidekick. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's sort of interesting. She's almost kind of somewhat been typecast in that role, but um yeah, I'd, I'd really love her to just, you know, stuff that would really sort of show off her abilities. Um, you know, oh, yeah. she's just I mean, got I so would... much. I mean, I'm sure she's going to... Something that would uh, let her win an Oscar because she absolutely oh, right. could. <laughs> she deserves it. For sure. I think she's going to... What I hope she does is do another... Do some Hawkeye. And then... How old is she now? 26? nearly yeah and then in her early 30s or yeah then she's gonna take a break and then she's gonna grab some role in her early 30s that she's just gonna blow everybody away and then she's yeah. gonna get that oscar i mean i personally like to see her go ahead i was just saying we can all say that we 
We knew her from Dickinson. <laughs> I remember when True Gr- I remember seeing True yeah. Grit and being like, what? Who is this yeah, well. 14-year-old? And then I remember kind of vaguely seeing mm. like I wasn't, you know, I hate to say this, but like I didn't really hear her music or anything. And then mm. I was like, oh, is that actress? Is she singing now? And then when Dickinson hit, and then I was like, oh my God. And then listened to her music. I was like, she's amazing. She's got an amazing voice. Um, she's got a lot to do in the world, you know? She's mm. got a lot of talent. So I I sometimes I feel so bad. Like, I mean, let's face it, she, Haley is not sitting around looking at her, you know, her social media going like, everybody's saying I'm not around right now. Like <laughs> she is not doing that. But I do feel like people are like, Haley, where are you? Where are you? And I'm like, oh my yeah. God, she's got so many projects going on. Of like, course. I, you know, we're just lucky that it's not an assistant doing it, right? Because yeah. like stars have people doing their, you know, I mean, they can have people doing their Twitter and stuff like that. So, yeah. I mean, that's the thing though. What I love about Haley is, you know, she's really got a real genuine connection with the fans. And she, you know, she really sort of, she doesn't seem like just, you know, like a sort of untouchable star. She seemed, you know, she's amazing but and very talented, but she's like, she feels so, you know, down to earth and relatable and like, you know, she wants to connect with us and, you know, it's clear that she loves us as much as we love her. And I think that's really sort of powerful. So. Yeah. yeah. It seems like a mutual love fest. Mm. This is my cat, Bruno. Can you hear him purr? Not really. <laughs> okay, good. Good deal. Um, uh, well, this has been so awesome. I think we already mm. said this, but <laughs> say it again. It's just been really awesome connecting, Luca. Thanks for, thanks for playing like scheduling Tetris. Yep. <laughs> and you know, making time for this. Um, I yeah. Just, thanks I, for giving me the opportunity to um take a break from all my study and watch some Dickinson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's good. I'm actually, um, in literature, we, um, we study Plath in class. Mm. Um, but Dickinson was on the book list and I asked my teacher, could I do her in the exam? And he was like, if you want to. So are you going to ace it? <laughs> You're going to ace it. Do you have a favorite poem of hers? Oh, that's a good question. I shouldn't ask because Jess is always yeah. asking me and I'm like, I don't, I don't have a favorite poem. Yeah, um, yeah. So I feel like a hypocrite, but. I mean, um, you know, there's so many, but um, in terms of just like ones I can think of from the show, like um, uh, my life has stood a loaded gun is really mm. powerful. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh yeah. Speaking of, um, I remember when the season, when season three was coming out, I had this theory because there was all these sort of references to Edward sort of dying and, you know, he had like the heart attack and then, um, you know, he sort of keeps mentioning like, I won't be, won't be here forever or whatever. And I was like, what's going on here? Cause like, you know, historically he didn't die for another like 15, 20 years or something. But, um, then I, I sort of, um, Obviously, you know, it was kind of just, you know, symbolic of his legacy and him being, you know, old fashioned and stuff. But 
um, I had this theory that he kind of, there might be some moment in episode eight or something where like, you know, he attempts to kill himself or there's some kind of moment. I thought like that could tie in with like a loaded gun or something. <laughs> I kind of had this, this idea. Um, didn't quite pan out, except we did actually see him drop dead in the Inferno sequence. Oh, yeah. So that, that, that kind of did come full circle in a sense. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, that, I just remember sort of tweeting about that or something. I was like, what, guys, what if this happens? Um, <sighs> yeah, I, I, I really missed that time, all the discussions and theories and stuff. It was a time. Yeah. You know, it's still great to see everybody. It's, mm. it's still great for us, you know doing the podcast and you know re-watching and everything um and not to take away from this at all mm. that was such a time like just yeah. to be like that connected to so many different people at the same time like in the same sort of space i don't know pretty cool but it's it's also you know i think i've said this before i didn't know that i could meet people like you luca on mm. social and even though you know we probably won't do we're not doing another you know we're wrapping up our podcast yeah like i still really enjoy seeing your posts and hearing your views and well, thank you um i'm just glad yeah i mean you know so obviously it hasn't all been amazing there's always sort of drama and stuff but i'm really appreciative for that community and sort of yeah get the connections i have formed and that have you know really sort of it's been a really positive place um yeah yeah. Well, for those of the, and I'll add this back in, you can follow Luca. Luca, what's your handle? I don't have my Twitter. It's, open. um, I love use underscore Hayes. Oh. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thanks again. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Just a quick little message. Uh, we want to say thank you for listening to us and you can follow us on our podcast, Twitter at the number four evermore capital P-O-D, and you can follow us on Instagram at dickinson.forevermore.podcast. That's right, and you can hear this podcast on Spotify or wherever else that you listen to podcasts. Well, I hope so. I I think episode five was the episode that I remember the most. Like from start to finish, I think I could probably recite the whole episode. I don't know why. I don't know why this episode is like so engraved in my brain, but it is. I think it was one of my favorites, probably. It was like an emotional roller coaster Mm. for me. All right, we'll save that for the podcast. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) I'll talk. I'll talk. All right. You guys ready?